0: Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, December 20th, we are studying 1 John chapter 4, verses 7-16. to Today's text is all about love. That's a word that's often misunderstood in our world today, but God shows us precisely what love is. He has manifested His love among us by sending His Son into the world to give us life through Him. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Chris Hull. Pastor Hull serves at Zion Lutheran Church in Tomball, Texas. Pastor Hull, welcome back to Sharp Iron.
1: Oh, Brother Apple, thank you for having me. It is always a delight when I'm with you.
0: Pastor Hall, we are looking at this text from 1 John 4 today because it is the appointed epistle reading for Christmas Eve. We've been looking at epistle readings for the season of Advent, and now we turn to a few of them for the various celebrations that you can have on Christmas. There are, There's actually four. You probably know this, Pastor Hall. I'm sure you have a service for each one. There's a Christmas Eve There's a Christmas midnight, there's a Christmas dawn, and there's a Christmas day, and we get to look at the epistle for each one. You get the epistle for Christmas Eve, 1 John 4. So tell us a little bit, why why does this text show up on Christmas Eve? What what does 1 John 4 have to do with Christmas Eve?
1: Well, you you see this, it has
0: the reminiscence of a little bit of like the prologue from
1: John 1, even though that's the reading for Christmas Day, you have this God- coming into the world, his light shining in the darkness. And that's really why you have it on Christmas Eve. You have that propitiation language. God loved us. We also love one another. So you, you see this narrative that helps assist the gospel reading for Christmas Eve from Luke 2. And it's just a fantastic text that really sets you right for what like what is a christmas tradition what is christmas all about is about this sacrificial propitiating love that is ours in christ jesus
0: all right, so we're gonna get a chance to look at that and see how this assists that gospel narrative. We're very familiar with that reading from Luke 2. And so it's it's nice to have these epistle readings that, that help us to understand why it matters that there's a baby born in Bethlehem and laid in a manger, what's, what's really going on. And John is definitely gonna help us with that with this text. We're, we're jumping in to first John, into chapter four today, which can always be a little bit challenging because you, know, you don't really have the full context. Although I suppose with with John, jumping into one section with John is a little bit easier than sometimes doing that with St. Paul. Because Saint Paul often tends to be a little more linear in the way that he writes, point A to point B and and so on. Whereas sometimes John tends to be a little more <laughs> circular in the way that he writes, where he, he starts at one point and then he goes on, but then he comes back to that point again and does that multiple times. And I, I think the letter, this letter of first John does that. So Pastor Hull, just a, what are your thoughts on the letter of first John? What do we know what should we know about it as we prepare to jump into this part of chapter four?
1: Well, I remember reading Luther, you know, he talks about the Epistle to John. He makes a point. It should almost be read alongside of John's gospel. You have John's gospel. Then you have the first epistle goes right into this, this word of life, what it means to love one another. You have that new commandment language, like from John 13. So you can almost read side by side, the gospel according to St. John and these epistles. And you're right. He keeps kind of going back and forth in this epistle. It's, you see God is love in chapter four. He addressed loving one another prior to that. And it's really what you see this this setup in the epistle is the distinction between a worldly love and a godly love. What does it mean to love in the manner of the world? What does it mean to love as one who's claimed by Christ? What does it mean to be sacrificial, selfish? What does it mean to be to have Christian righteousness versus civil righteousness? So it just all keeps culminating as you go. That's why it's it's almost anytime I talk to someone who wants to get into like Greek or something, it's like, well, read John first in his epistles because he repeats himself a lot. And he does that for a reason because he's hammering home very basic truths that we easily forget. Mm,
0: yeah. I mean he does he does repeat himself a lot and he does make these distinctions. The themes that we're going to look at today have come up previously in this epistle. St. John is the one who wrote this epistle. He wrote it to, as he, as he says elsewhere, my little children. He writes to his beloved ones. We get to talk about that today because he uses that term for his readers today. So a lot of great stuff here in the letter, the first letter written by St. John. And again, we are in chapter 4, verses 7 to 16 this morning. So let's go ahead and jump into the text. St. John writes, Beloved. That is our text for today. That's First John chapter four, verses seven to sixteen. Actually, I read all the way through seventeen. You read through seven. You are like
1: that person in Bible study that keeps reading, and did. you don't want to say stop. Like right. stop right there. Stop reading the Word of God. You want, to... but then you eventually have to because if they just keep on going and they don't stop, and and they've read like twenty five verses, pro- like past it, and like oh, you're in a new chapter now. You can you can stop <laughs> now, and we'll, we'll go back forty verses to what we wanted to. Originally talk about, but it was only one verse. So I think we'll be okay.
0: <laughs> okay, thank you for your. It's good to know pastors mercy. make
1: the same mistake. It's oh, good. I know. It's well, good. you know, I
0: mean, you know how it is, Pastor Hall. You get get reading in God's Word and you get excited because you want to keep I going. I know. mean, you we just didn't even get. Stop. We didn't get to verse nineteen. We love because He first loved us. That's that's I know. the one that we know.
1: So okay, I, I, I always wondered about these lectionary guys. You know, the guys that started this. You know, it's like the soprano. The Sopranos was a show on HBO a long time ago. It was about mob guys. You know, but it's like you think of the Sopranos or the Godfather, you know, they're sitting around the table talking about the business and, and you know, and, and then like, hey, we should cut it off at verse 16. What, what about 19? Ah, no, they, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. It's what matters to me. so
0: Now, Pastor Hall, you know, you know that I, I don't watch the same TV shows that, that you do. We know. We, I think everybody we knows. We all know this. that. So, so. I, I, I am f- slightly familiar with that, and I do give thanks, though, for the folks that put together the lectionary. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, as and do I, as do I. That's right. So. And
0: and I, I will say, so we are looking at 7 through 16, though it is, I mean, with John, as, as we've been saying, you know, these themes just kind of bleed into one text and out of the other, and it, I mean, it, they're so interrelated. So we're going to look at 7 through 16 this morning, even though I read 17 as well. A- as you think about that text, Pastor Hull, before we dig in very deeply to some of this language that St. John uses, just give us the the sense of this text. What's St. John saying here?
1: He's talking about the re- one reality. First reality is God is love. How we know love is how God loves us. And he loves us according to his mercy. He does not love us by our works. He loves us according to our, his mercy. Meaning instead of being condemned for our sins, we are forgiven by grace alone. Purely because he loves us. He is That's his love defined. How do we know love? We look to the cross. We look to his son propitiating, covering us in his righteousness that covers all of our sin. And then the flow from the faith that clings that we cling to that love alone. Now we love, we love in the same manner that God loves us, not because other people are kind to us or other people impress us or we benefit from them. We love because of how God loves us. The love we have received now flows from us. And how John can say things like, if that love does not abide in you, you do not abide in God, is not some works righteous thing. It's a, it's, a, it's an existence thing. It's a reality that if you aren't loving, if you're angry all the time, bitter all the time, resentful, do, do you have you actually received that love from God? Have you received that? Do you know what that is? Because when you know it, when you trust in it, when you cling to it, it transforms everything about you. God is love, and only in that way is our life transformed here, that we may rejoice and have it. As I say, being a Christian is actually really easy. Living like the old Adam is where it gets hard. Hmm. But knowing who God is love for you is what gives us a life of joyful exhaustion and sacrificial living.
0: Tell me more about that pastor holda you said being a christian is easy and living under the old adam is is hard what do you what do you mean by that how does that relate to to what john's got here
1: well god is love and when we look at our life as a christian our life as a christian is one receiving the gifts christ freely gives Baptism, the Lord's Supper, holy absolution, the gospel proclaimed, the mutual consolation of the brethren. When you abide in these things, you're abiding in his love, receiving the gifts of forgiveness, life and salvation. Literally hearing God say, I love you. That's joyful. Whenever I hear that, I don't walk out resentful or angry or bitter or anxious or worried. There's ease, there's joy, there's peace because I've received God's grace My conscience is at peace. It's only when I drift from that love to love of the world, love of the old Adam, and cling to those things that I then begin to resent the Christian life. And now it's a struggle to live it because I'm trying to live yet again like the world, living in the way the world loves to live, desiring the worldly loves, the lusts of the flesh. That's when it's difficult, and that's what gives you the anxiety and the stress and the worry. Being in God's Word is joy. I always tell, I talk to people, I say, think of it this way. When you abide in God's Word and read too many verses, and you just that's keep right. reading it, you're not walking away sad and angry. But guess what? When, when your, your, your fingers go across the, the keyboard, and you go to that website, you know you shouldn't be going to, but it feels good in the moment, and you go to it, When you walk away from that, you have nothing but guilt and shame. Mm. And when I say easy, it's not that it's, well, literally, I mean, it's easy. Something is easy because it's not something you do. It's God working on you. You don't do it. The world will hate your guts for it, but Jesus is smiling with delight. It's when we try living like the world again that we start having our problems. Mm. And yet Christ still absolves you and forgives you and reminds you of his love. Because he doesn't love you because you get your act together. He loves you because he is merciful.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's beautiful, Pastor Hall. And I, I, I mean, what you say about the ease of God's word is so true. And how often, I mean, in in our own lives, do we look for that rest or that ease in all the wrong places? And when we think we're going to find that ease, that rest by whatever going to that website or by Typing that nasty comment on Facebook or or whatever it may mm-hmm. be, you know, we think that that's going to provide some sort of relief for us, and then it's it's not very long usually where we have that you know Adam and Eve moment when we see what we've done and there's that shame. Whereas right. you know going into the Word of God, <laughs> whereas at, at the beginning you know our, our sinful nature of course fights against that, and we think, oh, this is uh, I don't want to, here I got to read the Bible again. And Then I read too many verses, but but when you yeah. when you when you've done it. There is that. I mean, that rest that the Lord gives there is real, and it's it's always it shouldn't surprise me, uh, and and it's to my shame that it does. But it is always amazing how how when I I spend that time in the Word of God, I I never I never have that sense afterward that I, I wasted thirty minutes doing that. It's always it's always like why why didn't I do that for an hour? Why didn't I do that sooner? It, there really is that that ease in God's Word, and it is because it's all a gift from Him because He's the one that loves you first.
1: Exactly. It's like Luther said in one, oh, I'm trying to remember where he said it, when says, you know, my day is, is so busy, I must spend two more hours in devotion before I get going. Whereas with us, it's I'm so busy, the devotion's going to have to wait. It'll wait till tonight. I'll get to it when I get to it. And the reality is, no, it's it's your day is going to be messed up. You're going to notice everything wrong. You're going to be stressed and burdened and anxious the whole way through because the Word of God not only reminds you of who you are, it declares you to be who you are. It works on you. It's not idle or empty, but active and living, and it works on you. It it eases your conscience. It frees your your heart to just rejoice in the gifts that He does give you throughout the day, And, and we need that, and that's why... John is making this distinction so clear here between God's love and a worldly love. Worldly is selfish and ends in nothing but despair. Godly love is what sets you free is sacrificial and sets you free to live here in time and in heaven unto eternity.
0: So, Pastor Holt, the, the main word here in this text, it would seem, is love. It shows up over and over and over again in, in a variety of forms, whether it's beloved, or it's the noun God is love, or it's the verb of love one another. So over and over again, there's the word love. And and I, I'm convinced that in our world today, the word love is very misunderstood. And I'm sure you can give me a lot more pop culture references <laughs> on love. But you know, I mean the Beatles tell me that all you need is love and and Elvis says he, he can't stop falling in love with you. And I'm you you can, you know I don't know who what's love got to do with it. That's a song. I'm not sure who sang that one. But if you you can give me more I'm sure. Tina Turner okay. Tina Turner saying thank, What's Love Got to do it. Thank you. I I, there knew, you go. I knew I knew you would help it. me out. Tina. Thank Tina you. did it. So, so yes. I mean, with, with all this talk, we, we've got all this talk of love in our world today, and yet there's so much misunderstanding, it seems. So, I mean, just help us. <laughs> what What is love, Pastor Hall? Well, love actually is everywhere. That's from the movie Love
1: Actually. Thank you. So, which you probably haven't seen. I haven't. Either. And that's okay. That's okay. It came out, love actually came out like 2003, 2004, around that time. It's this type of movie where you take all these stars, you have like Hugh Grant, Liam Neeson, you have um Alan Rickman, right, the guy who played Snape, Snape is a character from Harry Potter. He's in the books and the movie. So, um but you have Alan Rickman in there, um Emma Thompson's in there, tons of actors and actresses in it. Akira uh, Knightley's in there, the Dudu I don't have to keep going on with this. That's right. But the point of this movie is there's all these different ways love manifests itself, all these different types of relationships. And it's interesting, even this movie came out way before, I mean, like almost two decades ago. You, If it had come out today, you'd have, I would think, even relationships like transgender, homosexual, and things like that. You don't have that in this movie, surprisingly. It's not there, but you have love manifesting itself outside of relationships <laughs> that God desires it to be in. And the point of this movie, it comes out soon after 9-11 and they're trying to do this overemphasis of love in the best word that can maybe overcome that love is is a, a fulfillment of your desires, a, a happiness. Um, and, and that's the thing is that happiness is what it is the best definition of it. And it's not that God's love doesn't make us happy. I believe it actually does. It does make us happy because we know where we're going when we die. And we know where we are right now, standing as forgiven children of God in the present. But when you try to have happiness outside of God, you'll do anything to attain that. So it's not that love actually is everywhere like God is everywhere. Yeah, God is everywhere. But I don't try to find God by going into Death Valley without a bottle of water. I know where God is given in the means of grace. God is love, meaning where God reveals his love for me. In the death and resurrection of his son, his blood wounds in death. And then where Jesus says that benefit of his death can be given and found in the means of grace. So it's taking that love. It is all we need, meaning Christ is all we need. And then everything else flows forth from that. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and I think, I mean, and I again, not having seen the movie, I can't comment on it particularly, but I do think that, that the way that you're describing the world's concept of love hits the nail on the head, that, that the world comes to love as, if someone is going to be loving to me, then what they do needs to fulfill my desire, needs to make me happy. and And when that's our definition of love, and then we come to god and expect him to fulfill that definition for us I mean, we've got it all backwards so we're we're trying to put our standards upon god and it never works and I, I think that's i mean that's where you see all this confusion when it comes to you know some of the attacks against christians and you you aren't loving cuz you aren't helping me fulfill <laughs> what i think i want or what i think will make me happy rather i mean we need to follow the lead of saint john who says not love is god but god is love and let him let god define what that love is and it's it's not a matter of making me happy although as you said when i know what god's love is for me that probably will make me happy it will change the way i feel but it's it's not about that god's love is is something far different and as you said it has to be centered in what he's done for us in christ jesus which isn't again about our happiness but it's about giving us what we actually need which is the forgiveness of sins and and the righteousness of Christ that covers us forever,
1: exactly, and that you get into that like in verse seven, you know, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And what does it mean to know God? Because even the demons, mm. you know, tremble. They they know who this guy is. But to know God is to know God to believe and trust in God. By faith in Christ. That's how we know the Father is who Jesus is for us. We only know God, believe and trust in him because of Christ. To know God then is to know him as love for us. That even though I don't deserve it, his son came while I, as St. Paul says, while we were still sinful, Christ died for us, this reality. And knowing that then sets me free to love, sets me free to be patient and kind, and joyful, and gracious, to love my neighbor, because I know what God's done for me in Christ, and, and that's that's really what it has to all be grounded in, because when you're not in that, it's all going to be, it's not even emotional, it's more, well, if you don't know it, then 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 your life becomes very miserable, <laughs> because you're always going to be searching for that outside of God. You're going to be wanting that fulfillment from someone else, so like uh, paul says in galatians watch lest you devour each other we'll just be sucking the life out of each other rather than devouring christ who grants us eternal life
0: yeah that you you mentioned the phrase knows god there and then that's coupled here in verse seven with having been born of god and and you had you had mentioned this previously pastor hall that in order to to really grasp first john you really need to have john's gospel there with you and it is amazing how many echoes there are of the of the Gospel of John in this letter. And I think right there is one, the idea of being born of God and knowing God. And right,
1: the John three.
0: Well, John three certainly comes to mind, you know, to, to be born of of the water and the spirit, right? To be born from above or to be born again. And even I think John one as well, which mm-hmm. I, I know is the Christmas Day gospel and it doesn't go it doesn't get paired oh, yeah. with, with born this. Of
1: the not a flesh and blood,
0: right? Right. Well, and and, and yet, you know, I mean, and who is it that, I mean, and there's the idea of knowing in that prologue as well in, in John 1. You yeah. Know, he was in the world. The world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. him. But yeah. by being born in the, in the water and the spirit and being born by the will of God, then we do come to know him. And then to, I mean... And then the love comes, right? Because we know His love, and then our love follows that. I mean, I think you, both of those passages, John one and John three, I think help to to shine a light onto what He's saying here in First John four.
1: Oh, big time! And that's the reality: is God is the one that gives this birth from above, that He He regenerates us, and, and this born from above action happens all the time. You you need it constantly, just as we need forgiveness constantly. We need to be born from above constantly. It's not just a one-time thing, and now I go about my life. We, We constantly forget this identity, this reality that we are children of God. And we are reminded of it in the reality of God being born for us, coming to us. And the reality of John 3, even with baptism, it comes to you you are brought to the waters of holy baptism you don't run to it yourself you're brought there by the holy spirit and that's the beautiful part about it
0: i mean that that thought of of needing to be reminded of this and to be brought back to that truth of what god has done this is is in first john and other places i mean in the in in one of the divine services that's in lutheran service book you hear from from first john chapter 1 Where we're Mm -hmm. we're always told to confess, you know. I mean that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. We keep coming back to that, and then I know this doesn't come up in the liturgy, but but later, you know, John John says in chapter two, he says, "My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So when that and when that love is lacking in our lives when we're not showing it for another when when sin comes back what do we always need we always need to be turned back toward the love that Jesus has for us that does forgive our sins because he's our advocate with the father
1: exactly i mean it's this this one passage even in john is just magnificent because you see him bringing that repetitiveness, again, you know, anyone who's not love does not know God because God is love. This reality yet again of knowing, but anyone who doesn't, he doesn't say, well, you're a bad person. He doesn't attack the character. He says, you just don't know who God is for you. You need to be reconciled. You need to know who God is for you. That God is love before you even think about loving your neighbor. Because that won't happen unless this happens first
0: Mm, yeah and and again the way that john writes it is maybe a little bit different than than we're used to from saint paul because john just keeps kind of you know he he starts with beloved let us love one another wait a second, that, that doesn't sound like the place to start. But then he says, love is from God. I mean, so he's he's constantly just connecting these two things, that the love comes from God, it starts with God, and then it overflows into our lives. And he just keeps going back and forth between those two, reiterating it, bringing us back to God's love over and over and over again. And of course, that love is centered in what he's done for us in Christ Jesus. And we're going to pick up more of that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're looking at 1 John chapter 4 this morning with Pastor Chris Hull. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, December 20th. We are studying 1 John chapter 4, verses 7-16 through 16 with Pastor Chris Hull. He is the pastor at Zion Lutheran Church in Tomball, Texas. Pastor Old prior to the break, we were looking at the first couple verses of our text here, and the word love over and over again from St. John. Let us love one another because that love comes from God. God is love. He's the one that defines what it is and shows us what it is and he does so in his son Jesus Christ. Verse 9 is I mean well, any all these verses are just so important. Verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us. So he he showed it to us. And I think here's here's a Christmas Eve connection, right? That it was made manifest, you get to see it. And and right. John, but John here, I mean, he's not this is I I love this about the epistles and this is true throughout Advent and into Christmas is that you know we're thinking about that baby in the manger and it's not that the apostles aren't thinking about the baby in the manger but they are also thinking about the fullness of what Christ has done and so here as as we're preparing to to worship Christ the newborn king to come and adore him as the song invites us to do john's also inviting him uh, inviting us to worship him not only as the one who was born for us but the one who has died for us and and, and here you get i mean I'm going to say a lot here, Pastor Hall, and then you can respond however you'd like. But, boy, you talk about echoes of John's gospel. John 3.16 is very clearly in the background of verses 9 and 10, I think. Go for it.
1: Okay, you said you were going to say a lot, and I was like, yeah. Oh, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, it's this reality of how do we know the love of God, Baby in, in the manger, yes. Feeding 5,000, uh, walking on water, raising Lazarus, you, you see a loving God. But it, it's in his death that you see the ultimate expression, the revelation of God's love for you. You get into that when you get into John's gospel. John's always focusing on that. Even in John 3, as Noah, uh, not as Noah, as Moses raised up the bronze river, so must the son of man be lifted up. John, too, my hour has not yet come. The hour is not to perform miracles, but to be raised up on the cross. It's always coming back to that with John. And it reminds me of like discussions I have with members sometimes about crosses. Be like, you know, I was always taught, Pastor, that we, we have an empty cross because Jesus isn't dead anymore. He's risen. Like, you're right. That's exactly right. But he did die, though. And that's where you get the revelation of who God the Father is for you. He didn't just send his son into the world, let him do miracles, and then zip him back up again. He was sacrificed for you, that the bright jewel of his crown, like Luther says in his hymn, that's what's given for you. And that's how you know who God is, that he is that propitiation.
0: Tell us more about that word propitiation. I mean, that's a, a word that I don't know that we use it anywhere else regularly, in um, at least in the United States of America. What what does that word mean? What does it mean that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins?
1: You see propitiation over and over. You see it in John's gospel or, or John's epistle. Here, you see it in Re- in Romans. Paul, right? He was the propitiation for our sins. Right. You see it in Luke's gospel. And in English, you you wouldn't see it, because that word's not used, but the word is there in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. The tax collector prays his prayer, and he beats his chest. He says, God, propitiate over me, for I am the sinner. Cover me. It literally, this propitiation is a covering of righteousness. Jesus is your righteousness that covers. He is the payment. He is the satisfaction for your sins. He is the one that gives up his life that your sins may be paid for. They may be covered that rather than the father seeing you and your wretchedness, what he sees is the righteousness of his son, because Jesus has satisfied the law. He's kept it perfectly and therefore satisfied the wrath of the father for you. And because of this, he now covers you in his righteousness. Hmm. So that's that full what does this word mean? propitiate and how do we receive it in the forgiveness of our sins?
0: And, and this is what shows love to us. If we want to know what love looks like, that's what we need to see is is what God has done through his Son by sin and again the, the John 3:16 passage, you know that God so loved the world, He loved the world in this way. That he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him might not perish, but have eternal life. And that's a part of this, too, is that this this propitiation for our sins, which is is forgiveness, you know, it takes those sins away, but it also gives something. There's a, a positive side to it, the bestowal of Christ's righteousness and this gift of life. That's another really big theme, I think, in this text, but also in John's gospel, that Jesus has come to give us life. Tell us a little bit more about that, Pastor Hull.
1: Well, he's come to give us life. He's what does it mean to have life is to receive the love from God and then to love one another. I mean, that's the greatest gift, right? When you just have that love from God and then you delight in the community of other believers, rejoicing in the gifts that are given to you freely and then living sacrificially for them. If God has loved us, then we also love others. God loves us this way. Therefore, we love others this way. And this is what life is. He's come to give us not a self-centered existence, but an existence lived out in love for our neighbor. And that's what frees you gets back to when I said being a Christian is easy. And I, I talk about reading the Bible or going to a website. The other thing is, think about this. Uh, the joy that's given to you when you speak those words of peace to your neighbor, when you have that person grieving and hurt and damaged, and you bring the light of the gospel to them to shine in the darkness of despair, there's a difference, a joy that comes with that and a peace than when you gossip about your neighbor or betray them and slander them and hurt their reputation, when you hurt or harm them in their body, when you do all these things, there's a part of you dies there not a good part <laughs> meaning the parts that should die and be crucified the sin and the flesh but rather we're we're rejecting the love that God has for us but when we love our neighbor because God loves us there's nothing but joy in it
0: yeah, I mean that, and that—that that is what it does truly mean to live. And I, I appreciate the way you—you you really brought that out here in, from John, because I mean, I, I think when I when I think about you know what does it mean, so that we might live through Him, my mind usually goes automatically to eternal life, the resurrection with Christ, and and that's a part of it. But I, I like the way that you've also brought into the the life that God gives us now, which is the life of love. And I mean, I don't know that these words are recorded by John in his gospel, but in 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 Matthew, Mark, and Luke, I think, we hear Jesus say, if you would save your life, you, you lose it. And if you try to save your life, what? Well, let me see. If anyone loses his life, he'll save it. That's how it goes. Right. Right. But if you try to save your life, if if you're if you're selfishly holding on to, to all you are and your sinful desires, if you're trying to do that, then you're going to lose it. It's only by actually losing that life that Jesus gives you this life of his. And again, that comes from his love. Which is shown in his cross is propitiation for you.
1: It's um I'm reading a lovely devotional booklet right now at nighttime, uh by Philip Nikolai. Mm. CPH just came out with it, The Joy of Eternal Life or Joy No. Oh, what is it? I just lost title. But they just came out with this. It. This it's I thought it was a biography of Philip Nikolai when I got it. And it's not. It's actually written by him. Have you seen this book?
0: I have. I can't recall the exact title, but it looks like a good I mean I would love I would love to know more about his life and a biography, but I think reading his his writings is even better.
1: Oh and I think it's Matthew Carver who translated. He does a lot of good stuff. He gets he did Walther's hymnal. He gets a lot of good material out there. Uh, but Philip Nikolai Wright is a a um 15th into sep- no sixteenth and seventeenth century hymn writer and pastor and and he goes through all of these hardships. He goes through the plague. I think it was like 1589 or something like that. He's writing this basically his because of the plague, killing everybody, killing off family members and death all around him. He plunges himself into the word and he he makes the reality that we are set in the present because of the eternal life Christ has won for us. We are eternal people that have already begun to live eternally in Christ right here and right now. And that's the only way we can have joy is in knowing who we are as eternal beings, eternal ones in Christ. That sets us free. So we do lose things in this life because they're not They're Most of those things are not things that that last eternally, at least the way we treat them. Those those people, even sometimes we idolize them and God takes that idolatry away from us. He takes all these things away. We lose them because they are not things that grant us eternal life, but it's only in that eternal identity that we then are free to be joyful here and now mm.
0: that, i did find that book pastor Hull. it's called the joy of eternal life it is also uh, oh, it was right okay that's right the joy of eternal life published through cph these some writings from philip Nikolai. the Lutheran hymn writer and pastor from the 16th and 17th century. So Pastor Hull, in First John here, then I mean, and again, he's been going back and forth between these two things, but in verse 11, he, he does make that turn once again. Okay, God's loved us like this, then we ought to love one another. Again, just help us with that that connection. How does God's love for us in Christ push us into this love for each other?
1: It frees you. It releases you from anger. The only reason I said this this past Sunday when I was preaching, I said, those who fear and have fear driving them in this life, fear of all the things in this world, they're not happy people. They're angry and anxious and worried, and they're in a uh, state of panic. It's it's like when uh, you had the pandemic shutdowns of 2020 right before the shutdowns, You had everyone panicking to get toilet paper. You know, people you know pushing each other out of the way to get a a pack of four for toilet paper, like it was going out of style, it would never make any more. And fear does that. You don't care about your neighbor, you care about yourself. But in being freed in God's love, we no longer care about stuff because God cares about us. God takes care of us, He has everything under control. So what do we do with our time? Well, we occupy it with love for our neighbor because he has loved us. We're freed not to worry anymore. In Jesus, we have one less thing to worry about, meaning God's wrath. So the wrath of God is not on us anymore in Christ, only his love, and therefore we love others. Our neighbor doesn't get our wrath then. Our neighbor gets our love, because that's what they need.
0: As, as John continues into verse 12, he says that no one has ever seen God which reminds me again of of john's gospel in in chapter mm-hmm. one he talks about you no one has ever seen god but God the only begotten the the son of god he's the one who's made him known which i think again it fits very well here that you know we we wouldn't see god we wouldn't know what he thinks of us whether he loves us or not except for the fact that he has shown us he's shown us in his son Jesus christ so even though we have not seen god what well, we have and and isn't it i think it's in is it John 14 where I believe it's Philip asks Jesus, show us the father right. and that'll be enough. And mm. Jesus kind of shakes his head a little. Well, he doesn't, it doesn't say that, but that's how I picture <laughs> Jesus. Sort of that's
1: how he's like, God, sh- oh, come on,
0: shaking his head at Philip and say, Philip, haven't, haven't I been with you so long? Don't you know that, that if you've seen me, you've seen the father. So, and and I think again, that's tied to this thought of, of love, which in again, in our world today seems just so abstract, whatever happens to make me happy but but John and this is because Jesus does this he makes it very concrete if you want to know what love is and if you want to see how God see who God is and see his love look at Jesus that's where you're going to see it
1: exactly it's it's not in any of these other places it's in the blood wounds and death of Jesus it's that simple and then that frees you hey that's what love is that's what I do for my neighbor now
0: well and and in that i mean and I want to be careful here because I don't want to say it too too I don't want to say what, what the text doesn't, but it sounds like with the way then that John also connects the love that we have for one another, that that too is to is intended to be a picture of what God has done for us in Christ. That's is that, I hope I'm not saying too much with that, Pastor Hull, but that's what it, I mean, it seems like you're going to see God and his love by looking at Christ, and then what you see in the way that Christians love each other, that should also be a, a picture of that same love. That That's not saying too much, is it?
1: No, and that's what John says in chapter 13 of his gospel, right? A new commandment I give you that you love one another. By this they will know you are my disciples if you have love for each other. So I, I, I saw a, a meme the other day, and it showed one person, like, scared to death because they're trying to trust in their own works and love. And then this person cools a cucumber saying, trusting in word and sacrament. And I got what it means. It's saying, hey, you're never going to have stability here, but here is concreteness. But Lutherans can go off the deep end with that sometimes and it be, well, I take communion and I go to church, therefore I am loving. Mm, no, you still kind of look angry. You know, uh, I just gave you a literally divine service is heaven on earth. And you look like someone just shot your dog. And it's always, well, I'm a Stoic German, I'm a Stoic Norwegian, I'm a, some Scandinavian country. Um, you know, I'm a stoic person, and I'm like, I don't buy that. I really don't, because I- I've seen you be happy. I've seen you get excited about things. I've seen you at Astros games. I've seen you, um, when you when you get a big bonus at work. I've seen you happy, and you show it there, but you don't show it here. So try again. And it gets back to this is you'll see this, love. It's kind of like the movie Elf when Santa, Elf's a movie with Will Ferrell. Thank you. And it, 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 I have seen but there's there's There we go. It's when Santa's coming. Santa, you know, he gets so excited. That's the Lord's Literally, Jesus is here, everybody. Jesus is here. I, I said it in, uh, in a Bible study a few weeks ago. I said, imagine if every Sunday morning I had $5 billion at the altar and whoever got up there first gets it. And that was every Sunday. I said, I'd have the largest church in town. You wouldn't have to find envelopes filled with cash at Joel Osteen's church and the walls. I'm handing it out right on the altar. Mm-hmm. And someone said, I wouldn't rush. I'm like, yes, you would. You'd bowl over the old lady in the walker to get to it. So the thing is, and then I asked this in my sermon, I said, who in here hates God? And of course, no one raises their hand. And I said, okay, another question. Who in here has ever had a problem with their neighbor and has held a grudge? And every hand went up. And I see that they've gotten better at Zion. Their rotator cuffs work again. So they're able to raise their hands. And I said, so you do hate God because you hate your brother who you have seen. The reality is we know God's love, not only in the death of Christ for us, but also in our death for our neighbor every day, that Christ, what does it say there? His love is perfected in us, that that love permeates and works through. The distinction of Lutheranism is that's not what saves you. You're not saved, So don't focus on that. But when it's gone and not there and you're acting contrary to that then the law enters back in and says, "Wait a minute. There's a problem here. You're still living for the world because heaven's here and you don't really care about it." Well, and that's fun. Or maybe I'm too judgmental.
0: Well, but then with that with that problem that the love does not always manifest itself in our lives, what's what's the solution? John John doesn't say, "Hey, you need to try harder to love people." He right. says no you need to know God's love and that love needs to and this is you know more John this is John 15 language that love and Jesus himself actually needs to abide in you it needs to live in you well how's that love going to get in me pastor Hall? how's it going to live in me how, that's where your connection to the Lord's supper the word that's preached right. to you that that's how i mean it, you know if you want to use that language of the problem is you don't love how do I fix that problem? It's not by the pastor wagging his finger at you and say, try harder. Right. It's by the pastor telling you, God has loved you in this way.
1: Well, and that's where verse 13 comes. He has given us of his spirit. You point to that. The person is struggling with it. Then you preach reconciliation. You preach the cross. You preach the death and resurrection of Jesus. You point them to their baptism and say, this is where Jesus claimed you, and this is where he continues to claim you. It's not I was baptized, I am baptized. Here's the sacrament here for you, forgiveness, pure and undefiled. Here's the absolution. So that's the reality is we don't wag the finger and say, try harder. Here's five easy steps to be a better Christian. Instead, it's die. Don't make any excuses. Just die and let Christ be the one that lives in you, that his love is what grants you true life, a joyful life. Unto the ages of ages, I mean that's the thing is it's it's there you will see something there. I think that's well, it's like Garrison Keillor, right? Have you ever listened to Garrison Keillor? I have, like Wobegon and all. That. I love he just gets Lutheran so well, at least Northern Lutherans. He's so good about it. And but the thing is, it's comedy. He's making fun for a reason because he's saying this is how we act, and it's it's ridiculous. This love has freed us from having, from being worldly. The assurance, the guarantee, is the seal of the Spirit. And we have that guarantee in the means of grace. That's where you have the assurance that you are loved, not in your ability to love, but in that Christ loves you.
0: Right. I mean, this this love that John keeps talking about, you know, beloved, let us love one another. If God has loved you, then we should love each other. That That sort of love... I mean, it's not, it's never detached from Christ. And and I think you right. know, verses, particularly verses 14 and 15, uh, the Lutherans are going to love those verses because it is a reminder that this love that we're talking about is very much connected to true doctrine. You know, I mean, in, in verse 15, particularly, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. The, I mean, what that's talking about doctrine there, the faith that God has given you, that it does—it it is about confessing Jesus as the Son of God. And the, the nice, loving—I'm using kind of air quotes there—nice, loving person who doesn't confess that Jesus is God, he may make a great neighbor, but that's not what St. John is talking about here. St. John is talking about love that does flow forth from our lives, but it always, always starts with this true confession of who Jesus is and what he's done as the Son of God in our flesh.
1: Well, and that's because then the reality is it's a selfless love. If it's a love that's driving from us, it can be selfish. There's something we want to gain from it. But what does Jesus say? We love our enemy and we pray for those who hate us. The love, Because we're the ones who hate God. We're the ones who abuse God. We neglect his word and do all these things. The law is, is preached to shut us up, to silence us, to make us say, you're right. I need Jesus. I have no other option. I need Christ alone. And thanks be to God, he is given to you alone, by grace alone. It's nothing you did to deserve this. And that then frees you when you love your neighbor. You're not trying to get anything out of it. You're just loving them because they need to be loved. They need to know the same love that God has for you. And that's why we do it. We don't get anything out of it. Um, It was like someone asked me, why do I preach if every week people keep acting the same? And I say, because God is merciful. Because this is his gift to you is that you are not saved because you've made awesome improvements. You are saved, you are loved because God is merciful. Mm. And that's why we always have to start there, continue there and return back there to the cross. Mm.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's for the preacher too. The the you're yeah. you're saved not because you get up there every week, but because God has given his son for you. I mean that's the same is true for for me and for you and for every pastor who stands up on Sunday morning and preaches the word of God. That it's you know the love that that the preacher shows by by doing that, that's not the reason he's saved. He's doing that because that love that he preaches is for him, and that's a, I mean, that's a great joy for the for this preacher at least in Smithville, Texas, especially oh, yes. at a time like this when I mean I don't know about you, but there's a lot of sermons to write right now, Pastor Hall.
1: Oh, and that's the joy of it. God is merciful on me, and even though I have messed up this week, He still puts me in there, places me in the pulpit to speak the good news to his children his beloved um mark bars is one i i love listening to him he's a pastor over there in san antonio and um i i love whenever he'll just say people who loved by god you know you who are loved by god that's the reality that's who you are you're someone who's loved by god god doesn't hate you he loves you and in christ you are unconditionally loved and That's what it has to permeate in every church right now. We we don't need another, we don't need a political agenda or platform. We don't need a social club. We need a place where it's just constant on repeat. God doesn't hate you. He loves you. And here's Jesus to prove it. It's right here. His blood seals it. Your name, you don't have to be on any other guest list in life. You're on the guest, not in the guest list. You're on the citizenship list of heaven. You are eternally Christ's and thanks be to god for that.
0: and that's the beautiful thing we we kind of skipped over this word but john uses it twice in this text the way that john greets those to whom he writes he calls them beloved and and i i mean usually i think when i first hear that okay john loves these people and that's why he's writing but i think i i don't think that's where he's starting at least he's starting these are he's calling them beloved because these are the people whom god loves they're the beloved ones of god first and then right. because of that then they, they are the beloved of each other. John does love them. They love John. They love each other, all because they're the beloved ones of God. And I think when Pastor Bars says that, you know, people loved by God, that's that's precisely John's point, and that is then what moves a congregation to that love for each other.
1: Exactly. And that's what has to permeate. That's what has to... Um... In fact, well, in fact, may not be the best thing because that's always negative. It, it needs to just become the entire, saturate. It has to saturate a congregation. So you're the dry sponge, and the, the congregation is saturated with that love of God. And it's not the other stuff. It's not the despair and discouragement. Oh, why aren't we loving more? Well, that's hidden from us, right? Luther makes that point in his commentary on Revelation. These things will be hidden from you. So worry not in trying to find them, just listen to what God says. And he says, I love you. Thanks be to God for that.
0: Pastor Holly, you have about two minutes left on the morning as you reflect on this text from 1 John 4 and its place on Christmas Eve. Help us once again to see this wonderful gospel, this good news of God's love in Christ Jesus.
1: Christmas is that lovely time where where we do refocus ourselves a little bit. You know, we're we we we're on our always excited to be at church on Trinity seven or, or the sixth Sunday after Easter Christmas though, is that time where we just have that joyful experience. We really want to get into church and that's good. It's good. You want to be there. It's good. You want to be with the saints and sing the familiar Christmas songs. And that's why it's also good that this epistle is read that night, that it may ground you in what that joy is founded in, focused on, nourished by, and sustained by is the blood, wounds, and death of Jesus. That in the death and resurrection of Jesus, you have life. This little baby was sent to be born to take on all of your flesh, all of your captivity, that he may free you completely from sin, death, world, and the power of the devil. That's what Christmas is all about, is about the Lord, your Lord, who came to bear all of your woes, To come into the bitter darkness that is our life, to be the light, the love that we need, not only to live here, but to live unto eternity with Him. And thanks be to God, Jesus keeps handing that out year after year until He comes again with healing in His wings.
0: Pastor Chris Hall is pastor at Zion Lutheran Church in Tomball, Texas, helping us today with First John chapter four, verses seven to sixteen. Pastor Hall, thanks for being our guest today.
1: Brother Apple, thank you for having me. It's always fun times, my friend.
0: I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about this text from 1 John 4 or any of our other epistle texts that we've covered, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.